0: This is Concepts, where two pretentious sirs quibble over ideas that explain today's world Phil Shea and Steve Rose. We're live. We're live. <sighs> yeah. So, welcome to the Concepts Podcast. My name is Phil Shea. Steve Rose here. Uh, I write for MakeASkillCheck.com and a couple other
1: websites, and uh, I write fiction. And Steve? I write for SteveRosePhD.com, my own personal brand where I talk about mental health and addictions. Uh-huh. So, today... <laughs> yeah, you can cut out that awkward <laughs> gap.
0: No, obviously. We do that every time. Yeah. And we're gonna, I'm going to keep this, this discussion of that because that's a meta discussion, which is very relevant to <laughs> our... <laughs> very oh, relevant to our topic today which is perfect. meta we're talking about meta dude that was so meta people like to throw that word around so i thought we might have a good conversation discussing like, what it might mean
1: when you say the topic's meta or the concept is meta that's the first thing that comes to my mind is people like saying it in it's like that's so meta so profound like whoa what do you think they're saying when they say that then like, they don't mean ironic, because that's obviously very different, but they mean mm-hmm. it's like a discussion of a discussion. Mm, it can
0: be. That's one way. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a prefix that you add on things that comes from the original Greek, meaning after or beyond or about. So in this context, it's actually kind of funny because i learned learn about some of the, the applications of it. I've just basically d- thought about this and went through all the different ways and things I could find that have "meta" as a prefix and what it could mean or does mean. And so I thought I wanted to talk about
1: metacognition first, right? So meta is not so meta is not just this thing that we we uh, throw around in, in like cool phrases in that kind of like surfer California tone.
0: No, okay. So I guess an easier way to think about it is it's self. Self-referential. Okay. So like metacognition, cognition meaning thinking is thinking about thinking. Yeah. But it can also mean something like after or beyond or above. So like metahumans is what they use actually in the Marvel, I think, universe, where they talk about it's basically their their word for superhumans because meta meaning above. They're mm-hmm. above standard humans, just as what super means. Right. Mm-hmm. Or metaphysics. Actually, the the origin of that word actually is kind of funny. How it took on a life of its own, but we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. Okay. So to start off, metacognition, as I said, it's thinking about thinking. So it's, it's, fancy. it's what I claimed in other episodes to be one of my core strengths when I first started out. Life that is when you first started out. Life. Yeah. Like when when I first. Ba- yeah. When I first. <laughs> when you were a baby. Was, Shoved into the world. This is one of the things <laughs> I think I was gifted with. He was, yeah. he
1: was metacognizing from infancy.
0: Mm, I don't know about that, but like being <laughs> very self-referential, which I guess within within your context of the most recent book you've been reading, uh, that would make some sense, I guess. Right. Uh, with that book, you want to talk about it?
1: You want to mention it? What, are we going to be talking about what we're reading now? Yeah, Why not? It kind of organically grew in there. Okay. Uh, I've been super obsessed over this book right now called um, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, which you recommended to me. Oh, yeah. And it it really took hold and I, I couldn't stop reading it. Wrote a giant summary of it if you're interested. We'll link that. Yeah. How does this tie back in your, in your thoughts?
0: Oh, because I would probably be classified as an internalizer, somebody who tries to think about how to improve themselves to get the emotional fulfillment that they need, I guess, right. if I were to fall into either category. And so that might be self-fulfilling in a way.
1: Yeah. So the internalizer category is uh, someone who is emotionally neglected uh, in their upbringing. not so harsh. Instead of emotionally not tended to, uh, they had cold, uh, kind of a colder parental Uh, tone and they didn't nobody talks about emotions or difficult topics and an internalizer uh turns inward and either isolates or blames themselves for a lot of problems that occur and uh starts trying really hard to gain a sense of emotional fulfillment through doing more in relationships uh, which can lead to self-neglect and you go down this downward spiral Mm -hmm. of being resentful of people you're doing everything for and doing all the emotional labor in relationships
0: we're going a bit further into this concept than I was
1: hoping you would do. The, the reason why we bring that up is because an internalizer has a lot of metacognition, meaning, well, if you're really lost in it in the early stages, you, you don't know what's happening. You blame yourself. But as you start to realize the, the dynamics that are playing out, you can step back from these unhealthy dynamics and yeah. actually understand the bigger picture, which is one of the actual tools in the book. It's the observational mindset to, to kind of study your parental interactions. Like uh, what I say is like, an, like an anthropologist in a sense, you're like Jane Goodall going into your, your family dynamics and studying the chimpanzees. Exciting. Exciting. They're using tools. Oh, look at that pattern. <laughs> but that's kind of a meta awareness.
0: Yeah. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned the anthropologist, which ties into the book that I'm currently what, what reading. What
1: book are you reading?
0: I'm currently reading um, intuitive eating, which is nice. It seems like another book that's like this. It seems like a classic. I think it was released in like the 90s, but it's it's arguing a method to approach healthy eating and not needing strict rules. Which, if you're somebody that if you're part of the majority of people who try to lose weight, then you might have a lot of these things going on. And I highly recommend it so far. Though I'm only halfway through. One of the recommended things they talk about is having an internal anthropologist paying attention to how your body is functioning, which would be a form of metacognition. Am I hungry now? Am I actually full? Am I eating this just because I'm bored? Do I, did I actually taste half the meal I'm eating? And so you kind of dig through those things but back to the main topic at hand metacognition is generally exercising these
1: things can i just fuse these two ideas together in the concept of cognitive diffusion actually in acceptance and commitment therapy it's the ability to step back from your thoughts and to see the context the bigger context of what's going on here and i think that that really sets the tone for the usefulness in in the practical areas of meta perhaps
0: perhaps People may argue, though, like they might ask questions like, what's the use of thinking about your thinking? Just a waste of time. And what would your response be to that? Well, if you don't think about your thinking. Just navel gazing, wasting your time, just thinking about your thinking, not taking action. i trying to yeah. answer your
1: question. Here. Do it. Answer. <laughs> You're coming off very, very aggressive. Well, so. Just the way you like it, my friend. Wow. Just hijacking the conversation here. Oh, sorry. The, the, the
0: conversation that I'm leading, <laughs> the one that I'm supposed to be the lead of. Yeah. Sorry for directing it, but continue. Please tie these and marry these things together.
1: Yeah. So uh, the, the purpose of thinking about your thinking, well, if you don't do that, you're simply reacting generally. You're just going through life either in a haze, like sleepwalking. That's like one version of it where you're kind of just a follower version. And the opposite version of that is you're just going around exploding on everyone as like this emotionally reactive person, which is actually one of the emotionally immature parent types in that book, by the way, the emotional parent, it's kind of you got to walk on eggshells around people like this. Uh, mm-hmm. And so if you're not thinking about your thinking, it's just happening for good or for bad. Maybe you get lucky and, and things work out, but maybe not. And that's the nature of uh, counseling is we're thinking about your thinking to create yeah. more effective patterns.
0: That does seem to be one of the purposes of therapy more generally is encouraging and developing the skill of metacognition because like you said most people are just kind of reacting to what's going on and not questioning these things. Like if you find you have a really negative reaction when somebody does something kind to you or for you then you might want to consider what what's going on there. Why are you reacting like this? Cuz there's clearly something there. Yeah. What I think of when people dismiss this is usually thinking that psychology is just mere psycho babble that is just taking your money and giving you nothing. But I think these people are just so lacking in metacognition that they may not even be aware that how controlled they are by their emotions or by these natural instincts, these trauma responses that uh, are just so ingrained in their lives. So they, <laughs> they just are reacting constantly just a, a walking ball of psychological scar tissue yeah. that lashes out whenever a, a thing is touched. Yes. So I want to give you some examples of metacognition. I don't have any written down, so maybe you can help me with this. Okay. But it's like, I guess for me... For snacking, for instance, of watching a movie, like one of the things they pointed out was this is all going to go back to food because I'm reading that book right now. That you chase the first few bites and then you may not even be aware that you're continuing to eat, especially during exciting scenes. It seems to pick up the pace of consumption. And then the next thing you may notice is that it's just gone. You're just you're touching the bottom and you don't remember actually consuming it all. Okay. So being unaware of that.
1: This really reminds mm-hmm. me a lot of mindfulness. Is it not very similar to mindfulness? I know that book distinguishes between mindful eating and intuitive eating, but would you say that metacognition is is really a form of mindfulness?
0: It's not necessarily because mindfulness is about being experiential in the moment, whereas metacognition is being able to, I mean, it is relevant, but I think metacognition is being able to see the processes that are happening and interpret them and understand them and maybe intervene with them. Instead of flying off the handle, you can do some breathing techniques incorporating mindfulness Mm -hmm. in, but you still have to be aware of these things happening. So I guess mindfulness might just be, I don't know, it depends. Like It depends on who's talking about it because it seems like the definition could be a little bit fuzzy at times. What do you think? Do you think they're the same?
1: I I think they're actually quite similar. I can't really tell them apart except for the fact that mindfulness as a concept has a, a general Eastern philosophy lineage, whereas metacognition, uh, it's more of the philosophy slash psychology realm. But in practice, they're quite similar, I think.
0: Uh, I don't know. It depends on how far mindfulness extends, because mindfulness... To me, okay, this is like the difference when I was, I have another question that I had here, which was, is there a difference between metacognition and self-awareness or self-reflection? Or is this all just needlessly haughty? Like it is a super pretentious term for the same things. Define haughty. Haughty just means pretentious. Like <laughs> just too highbrow. I like that word. I think <laughs> Uh So I think... To me, self-awareness seems different than metacognition because to me, self-awareness just knows like, I like these things. I am about this. This is my goal in life. These things are important to me. And self-reflection, I think, is more similar because you're looking at yourself and saying, okay, well... I did these things, so this might imply maybe that, or maybe my, my drives for this or this other thing. And I think mindfulness seems to be more in terms of self-awareness to me, like you're experiencing in the moment, but it doesn't necessitate you picking apart and thinking about these processes outside of that moment. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it does. Right.
1: No, I, actually, I see that distinction because mindfulness does lend itself to more of a letting go and conscious presence uh, and just be yeah, un, uncritically analyzing, but experiencing. experiencing, taking in, sensing. Whereas metacognition. Yeah, you're right. It does go into more of a, a realm of analyzing and, and which mindfulness yeah. typically doesn't go that far.
0: It's like mindfulness seems to be like listening to the music and experiencing the highs and lows of it. Mm. Whereas metacognition might be both listening to the music while looking at the sheet music and understanding the theory behind the music as to why it works and being able to emulate that or tweak it in ways that might be more beneficial. So that that's my understanding of the difference.
1: Yeah, I really, I really like that distinction. Uh, What was, what was the three concepts that you had and wondered if it was haughty to conflate them or
0: self-awareness and self-reflection versus Metacognition. So I just said, like, self awareness is probably more like uh mindfulness, and self reflection is probably closer just to another word to metacognition,
1: perhaps. 100%. You got it right on there. And uh, this is reminding me of Eckhart Tolle. And I have one of his quotes in front of me, actually, and it fits this perfect. Interesting. And in this quote, he's defining mindfulness, and it fits really well with the self reflection. And what is the self? And maybe I'll just read it here and we could talk about it so it goes quote give up defining yourself to yourself or to others you won't die you will come to life and don't be concerned about how others define you when they define you they're limiting themselves so it's their problem whenever you interact with people mm-hmm. don't be there primarily as a function or a role but as a field of conscious presence he capitalizes presence. You can only lose something that you have. You cannot lose something that you are. End quote.
0: Being not doing. This is one of the uh, the ideas excavated from Pickup, or they probably poked, picked from other places. But talking about confidence is being mm-hmm. not doing. You don't do something to be attractive or to be confident. You are that thing. And to think otherwise is actually just yeah. pre- to pretend. But I guess sometimes that's where you have to begin. I think I'm not quite there. You know, I'm very uh, self-referential a lot of the time or self-reflective, I guess, at times. But I find that the more I every time I think about what others might think of me when doing these kind of outlandish projects, like the one we talked about in internalized capitalism, I I kind of back away from it or I shy away from the idea because it's too outlandish and people are going to judge me for it. But the more I stop thinking about that and consider what I actually want and what I think is the right course, it pushes me towards these things. So I, I see what he's saying. What do you think about it?
1: Yeah, it's kind of a being uh, in, in a conscious presence and kind of listening to your body or your, your intuitions about what you truly value and want versus the kind of the self-referential, self-defining, looking at. Looking to others to to gain your sense of worth, self, which is really locked in, and and not following your your own interests. It's it really relates back to this book that I was describing before, the internalizer's dilemma of wanting a sense of connection, emotional connection, but the more they do, the further it it gets away. And the role self because they're they're a dancing monkey yes they
0: they feel like they have to earn that it's not that they deserve it just by being
1: yeah just by being conscious and very much so and that pickup reference that you mentioned before reminds me of that video you recently sent me it's hilarious
0: oh the worm one yeah I mean, that guy is really exploding. I'm going to link that. But he's this small time up and coming YouTuber that just like really blew up suddenly and just out of nowhere. And I think, see, like that's the kind of thing that you you or I might do with all the time that I'm currently editing the internalized capitalism thing. We're talking about what we do with our spare time. That guy having the spare time and the, the drive to do this, he's propelled himself by doing like daily videos and just releasing them just like two minute to five minute videos. And he's getting great success because he's able to focus on his strengths.
1: And can you maybe go over what happened in that video and how it relates to this topic of the the having the dancing monkey?
0: I don't really think it's that relevant. I think what what is more important is just like the the phrase that comes from it is "you are enough." Like you are enough as you are, and to think otherwise again it kind of cut, undercuts that to a point that it it doesn't seem like it's a case. But like intuitive eating, you have to trust yourself. In these contexts that you will survive and things will be fine. Yeah. And that taking these minor risks are are worth exploring because they help you to access that that part of you, the confidence.
1: So in short, I can just describe the video as the guy pretends uh, to be a worm to impress a woman.
0: <laughs> yeah. And they point out that the flaw in his approach was that he picked a bad animal. Because worms are gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love girls and I love worms. You can put that on my appetite. Worms.
1: Yeah. And they asked the woman, it's like a kind of a, a fake interview. What did he do wrong there? It's like, well, he acted like a worm and worms are gross. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, so if he acted like a tiger, oof, would have been all of yeah, that.
1: Yeah, so uh, pointing out the thaw was the animal and not the fact that he was dancing, he was playing a, playing a role and trying too hard anyway.
0: So, the next one, if, if we can jump off, unless you have something you want to add on to this already lengthy part on metacognition. Okay, just bear in mind, all of these concepts could probably have an entire episode to themselves. So, I'm going to do like a drive by. Yeah. Are, you, are you good to move on from metacognition? Because we can actually do an episode later potentially.
1: Okay, let's do a drive by.
0: Okay. So meta learning is the next one, which if anybody knows about this, this is learning about learning. So focusing on the processes that you learn. So like, for instance, learning a mnemonic, like my, was it? My very educated mother just served us nachos. If you take the first letter of those, that's the order of the planets, stuff like that. That is a kind of meta learning process because it helps you to learn these things faster. And knowing that you can use mnemonics like that to To remember things, it actually can speed up the process of learning. Tim Ferriss is basically the god of this, and
1: that's why I have his book sitting in front of me at the moment, actually. So can I make sure I understand this correctly? It's taking the first letter of every word on a list and then spelling something with it.
0: That's just a simple mnemonic. Okay. So there's mnemonics are processes to learn things or to remember things better. Okay. A mnemonic, generally, as people understand it, is... Something like that where it's simplifying or turning into a song or making it a phrase that's easy to remember because okay. then you can go through that thing and remember what you need to remember. And then there's also mnemonic systems which allow you to memorize things like if you've watched Sherlock, they've had he has a concept of the, the memory palace where you take a place that you're very familiar with. And you mentally walk around the place and associate different objects or locations in the room with things you need to remember. The memory power. So these was, are different processes. That
1: works really well, by the way. Uh, if anyone's interested in memorizing long lists of things. I used the memory palace once a few years back and was able to memorize a deck of cards in like under a half hour.
0: Honestly, I think that mem- or mnemonic systems and mnemonics in general should be vastly more employed from yeah. like kindergarten up. Because imagine how much time you would save if you could memorize things. As like we have to consciously do this, yeah. but if it's taught to you at that age, it becomes part of just how your mind works. Yeah. And then suddenly, you, like you have to study for a test. Okay, sit down a half hour. Great, ninety nine percent or hundred, whatever. Yeah. But that's my point. That's why I want to talk it's, about meta learning is because
1: insanity. How great these these actual tools work, and you can learn them really quick. And then you could just have a, this massive memory. But we've never been taught this in school. You have to actually seek out the knowledge.
0: Exactly. That's a problem. Like, what
1: is school teaching
0: us? It's teaching people random facts and follows the approach that I call the spaghetti method, where you toss it against the wall and see if it sticks. It doesn't just keep tossing it, and hopefully one of them will stick. But that's not actually teaching them how to learn. That's just throwing facts at them Mm -hmm. and hoping that they learn it. So I'm like, why are we not teaching actual learning? (laughs) Meta-learning is that. It's It's teaching how to to
1: learn. So learning, learning how to learn. I like that phrase you have to learn how to learn because we just focus on the learning, but we don't focus on the meta learning, the learning how to learn. Yeah. Which makes it way more efficient.
0: You're left to do that on your own. Yeah. So meta in this case is about. So yeah. it's self-referential. Same with in metacognition. It's cognition about cognition or learning about learning. Okay. Most of them are gonna be self referential in that way. Like skills to do with skills is the next one, meta skills. Oh, but nice. for for Tim Ferriss, he actually came up with, in the front of his book, this, this book I would highly recommend. It's the miss, the badly named The 4-Hour Chef. The 4-Hour Chef focuses on cooking, but really the entire thesis of the book is how to, to meta-learn, how to learn and deconstruct things in such a way that makes them easier to digest and much faster to learn. And he talks about how, like, it took him years to barely be able to even say a single sentence in Spanish. But then when he actually came up with a refined technique, which I will explain if you care to hear it, then he was able to supercharge that to learn Japanese in a year, German in, like, I think, Chinese in six months, German in three months. And, like, it just keeps getting faster because he was able to refine the technique more and more. Are you interested? Mm, Sure. Sure, I guess I guess this super powerful tool would be vaguely sure,
1: interesting to sure. me and the people listening. I'm not too interested in languages, it, but yes, let's do that. It's not
0: okay. Just for anybody listening, that it's going to be as narrow focused as Steve. <laughs> it's beyond just the example I gave. It's literally any skill you can possibly think of. Oh, he just gives languages because that's what he uses. Well, let's
1: do. Let's learn it then. Is it because yes? I know the memory okay. palace is good? Is this similar or different?
0: It's not the same. Okay. It's um, more about. Procedural or statement-based. Okay, it's different. So, how do you learn how to learn really, really well? Okay, so he has two processes. One is called DIS, and the other one is Cafe. Okay. So DIS is D S S S. So it's D three D S three. If you want to think of it. So first one is deconstruction. So what are the minimal learnable units, the Lego blocks I should be starting with? So you take whatever it is that you're trying to learn, like say cooking or Whatever. And you break it down to what are the, the most core components of that thing. So say chopping, peeling, boiling, roasting. You could pick a bunch of things and say, OK, these are the the, the Lego blocks that are required to, to be good at this thing. Then the second one is selection. So which 20 percent of the blocks should I focus on for 80 percent or more of the outcome I want? So this is going back again to the 80 20 rule which ones would be the most payout for the least amount of effort. Mm -hmm. The next one is sequencing. In what order should I learn the blocks? First S is which one should get the most attention. The second one is which order should they be put in? And the third S is stakes. How do I set up stakes to create real consequences and guarantee I follow the program? So some sort of commitment level. So to repeat first, break it down to its smallest components. Second, identify which components are the most valuable. Third, see which order makes the most sense for the components. And then finally, how do you make up some sort of commitment scenario that will force you to, to actually follow through or at least encourage you to follow through? So that's his approach to learn any skill. The secondary principle is cafe. Anyway, let's start with this.
1: Did you understand what I was saying? Let me reflect it back in my own way of approaching. Let's things. think
0: about Taekwondo. Okay. No,
1: no, I want to think about learning uh, counseling skills. Sure. Whatever you want. So let's say uh, I learned the technique of acceptance and commitment therapy by sure breaking it down into the six pillars that, that compose acceptance and commitment therapy. And then can they be broken down even further? Does each pillar, I, I guess each one can be broken down into different metaphors and exercises.
0: Okay. So it seems like the pillars are probably the more important approach.
1: Yeah. And I guess that's kind of what I did in one of my articles on how to increase psychological flexibility was I was summarizing the technique for others so that it's useful. But really what I was doing was learning it myself through the process of kind of organizing the the building blocks and their importance and the hierarchical system and, and really kind of having a meta view of the technique itself seeing it from that bigger picture and, and summarizing everything in one article rather than it feeling very loose and vague and, and large.
0: Yeah. Nebulous, yeah. like a cloud yeah. making it more concrete. Yeah. So you, you put them into the blocks. That's right. And then the second one, which ones are the more important 20% of that? In this case, it might not shake out to 20%, but would you recognize some of the, like one or two of the pillars of the eight being more useful than the other ones that require more focus and finesse or um, payout?
1: They're all pretty important, but I guess you can you can say the cognitive diffusion is kind of a a huge part of it. Um, But that might require a little bit more attention.
0: And sequencing is which order should they be learned in? Like if you had to choose, like you can't learn them all at once. Yeah. You should probably refine. So I guess you would argue that maybe cognitive diffusion would be the one to start with
1: perhaps yeah and 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 acceptance would be up there as well it's somewhere between those two given that acceptance is right in the name you could already see it's important so you would you would kind of find what what's what are the building blocks that compose the thing i want to learn what are the most important of these building blocks and how can i force myself to pay attention and, and commit to learning it
0: yeah so for you you were very committed to learning this because it's the career you were choosing. And your livelihood will depend on your capability of doing this. So you had built in stakes to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's important for these things for him. When he studied Japanese, he was in Japan and had to basically sink or swim at that point. And he almost sank, be given his story. But yeah, the, you you kind of walk through those things. I want to also cover his other thing, cafe. There's no A in it. It's just CFE, but it's easier to remember with a cafe. So the first one, dis, you can think of like the, the 80s term. <laughs> To diss someone. Oh, yeah. Uh, but no, no, I. Uh, and then this one cafe is CFE. So compression, frequency and encoding. So compression is how can you encapsulate the 20% of the most easily graspable stuff on a one pager? So you essentially did that with your your six pillars post. Yeah. You took all that and you put it in one page yeah. and you made it compressed compress down. So it's it's more important and easily to easy to digest. Yeah. Then frequency is how frequently should I practice? Can I cram and what should my schedule look like? What growing pains can I predict and what is the minimum effective dose for volume? So that's a different concept altogether. I'll skip that for now, but just how, how frequently can you commit and should you commit to practicing these things to review and then finally, encoding. how do I anchor the new material to what I already know for rapid recall? That's huge. So like, how do you tie it back to your areas of familiarity? Yes. That's, that's very useful. That's, I do that with names, actually.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> a remember people's names. huge thing in counseling is you don't just tell people information because they don't remember just raw information. For teaching in the university context, if you just sit there and spout a bunch of information to students, you come back the next week you're like, so remember when we talked about this, everyone's like, huh? Like they, they never heard of it before. You're like, I just spent the last hour last week talking about this. <laughs> like that's literally what happens every single time.
0: So maybe we're doing that in a podcast at times. That's kind of why I wanted this to be more conversational, which is why the design one may have fallen flat the design episode.
1: Right. Yeah. The design episode, which it was more of like you, your favorite you lecturing me. <laughs> And I forget everything you said, literally. I don't really remember much of it. And that's good. (laughs) That's how learning works is you have to anchor it to someone else's current knowledge. And so teaching works best through discussion. Uh, And so discussion, what it does is provides context and there's stories, there's relating it to people's lives and like, oh, that fits with when I did this thing or this other thing that I know that's kind of like this. But it's slightly different. Mm. You're so you're putting you you're putting it into a place in their in their life, not just as you said before, throwing spaghetti at a wall and seeing what sticks. Because some of it will find context. Yeah. Maybe you talk long enough, the person will be like, "Oh, that reminds me of this other thing," oh, yeah, and they'll yeah. remember it. Yeah, that reminds me of my job. Yeah, they, yeah. eventually that'll happen. But if you're not doing it through dialogue or putting, actually putting it to things in their life, life, or in counseling, it's more like putting it to feelings in their body. Mm. You're you're putting a place like, what does that feel like in your body? Okay, there's a tension in my neck. Okay, if that tension had a voice, what would it say? And okay, it would say, "No, I'm not enough." For example, so you're putting the the thought into the thought. Which is the, the voice into a context, which is a feeling in, in your body. And when you connect these things, you people will, will internalize it and learn better. Yeah. yeah,
0: you're right. So for you, back onto the thing, you did compression on the one page, then frequency, you had to use it regularly yeah. in either your classes or actual practice. And encoding, well, you already had some framework for therapy and just i mean communicating with people so you could relate back to oh i've been screwing this up all these times or i should have done this at that time right. so it's easy to tie back but that's all i wanted to say about meta learning if you want more on this the four hour chef amazing or right? pretty much anything by tim Ferriss. yeah the next one i want to talk about is meta skills skills about skills yeah skills to do with skills what what can you think would be a meta skill
1: Um, learning how to do something that's generalizable and useful for a bunch of different areas rather than like a specific skill, like, um, chopping onions, for example, seems very, very kind of narrowly focused versus developing your balance. (laughs) For example, it seems like it's a, it's relevant for a lot of different things. Is that kind of what you're talking about?
0: Yeah, that that fits. Like if you want to study martial arts and you study like how to balance, like get better balance, I guess, or like some sort of some sort of physical thing. You could say you could argue that, but I'm actually arguing that reading the skill of reading or reading books. I remember reading this post on Reddit of some guy saying how he was told that reading wasn't a real hobby and that he should get a real hobby and that doesn't count. But I'm like, reading is the ultimate hobby. It's the meta hobby because it, it allows you to learn anything else, anything else you could possibly want to learn about reading can get you at least partway there. So for instance, the book I was just looking at is a meta it's a book on meta learning so Whoa. reading would be a meta skill to develop that's, pretty much any other skills that, if you think about so
1: it that's so meta reading that book reading <laughs> as a meta skill about meta yeah kind of that's so meta
0: dude So meta. but but so would i guess consuming educational podcasts or just building the habits of looking into further knowledge i guess you could argue that anything that spurs curiosity could be a meta skill or maybe curiosity is i don't know
1: yeah. I've been lost in the weeds in the moment. So the reason why this is a meta skill is because as you're developing more knowledge, it kind of um, accelerates your ability to develop other skills.
0: Yes. And also writing, now that I think about it, is a meta skill because yeah. the better you get at writing, the better you get at thinking. And yes. the better you get at thinking, the better you get at like anything.
1: So I didn't realize how true that was until I was, was really blogging regularly around 20, 2014 or so uh just kind of thinking about my dissertation topic through the the writing i was doing and it really makes your thinking clearer and sharper Sharp. and you just know where you are in a conversation and you could kind of you become very lucid or very it feels very meta i guess you can you can say um i guess lucidity is the feeling of meta would you say
0: it seems like we're going back to to mindfulness like I guess. lucid
1: dreaming is like meta dreaming it's like you're you're aware dreaming about dreaming you're oh, okay you're not dreaming about dreaming okay
0: i guess inception the movie would be a meta dreaming right because they're dreams within dreams within dreams yeah i guess yeah like that or other other stuff i've met um, narratives in here not it's like not the next one but the one after yeah the, the next topic i have i guess if you want to keep moving on, I guess it's, again. It's just, meta. i think it's just Let's, Interesting. let's just keep going. Let's just let it go. Let's just keep going. Okay. So so the next one is meta in the sense of beyond, which is metaphysics. You are probably somewhat familiar with it because yes. you've studied more philosophy than I have directly. So as far as I understand it, it's the study of reality, nature, and just what, what can be sort of what can be known more about reality and nature. Yeah. And the topics it covers are like nature of time and space, mind, body problem, causality, what it means to be a person, free will, do universals exist? That last one though, do universals exist? You and I I remember when we were in middle university early university mm-hmm. we would we would discuss that like debate what what could be universally true everything is always changing is, is that was the closest but it negates itself cuz like that if it doesn't change then that is not true that everything does cuz it's an example it's an example of an exception oh that, that or statement the other
1: one itself is an example of an exception
0: yes exactly it's oh, it's wow. a meta statement in that way cuz it's self-referentially inviolating. yeah
1: oh can't win with that one
0: uh well change is the only constant is the one i guess but again it it, <laughs> it itself does not change the the best <laughs> quote i found on metaphysics was metaphysics is the finding of bad reasons for what we believe on instinct so like is beauty universal like we believe it is because we're taking our perspective but it may not be what do you think about metaphysics
1: I, i'm kind of over thinking about it because it it gets very abstract oh yeah it was fun, like a kind of master's level area where you could kind of play with ideas and, and, and all of that. And sure there's a there's a time for it, but I, I've really turned to more practical applications as you could probably tell.
0: Yeah. I think Actually, now that I look at this list, I focus on a lot of these things and think about them quite frequently. Like the nature of time, the the mind-body problem, causality. I've already argued on this alone that I'm a determinist, which is arguing that causality is a major factor in whether we have free will or not, which free will is also on this list. So you, what it means to be a human, what it means to be a person that I think about sometimes.
1: You've become really hmm. somewhat of a philosopher here.
0: Yeah, I guess that's my name. <laughs> Philosophizing. <laughs> Yeah, I guess my aunt, I remember, told me to go into that. And my dad's discouragement, if you remember, was that philosophy is a waste of time. All it is is people sitting around thinking about what bark is made of, which
1: shows, is partly true.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is it is probably metaphysics, uh, a corner of metaphysics, but like the more useless part of it, because mm-hmm. it's like the nature of time could be useful for like physics and stuff along those lines. Like Einstein must have done at least some level of this to get to his conclusions. And yeah, yeah, but I think it can definitely go astray. It's a very broad field and I'm definitely not going to do it justice. So I'm going to move on. Let's move on from (laughs)
1: metaphysics. It's way too big. It's just too much.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So that one's again beyond. Oh, right. The name. I just wanted to cover that. The name metaphysics. Do you know where it comes from? It's the dumbest naming ever. No, I don't know. So Aristotle wrote a book called Physics and then met, met whatever. I think him discussing this idea was the book after physics so it's just literally named the one after physics for huh. Aristotle so it's not actually anything to do with the the meaning of the words it's just this is the book he wrote after physics
1: wow they didn't put a lot of thought into book naming back then did they
0: no definitely not I didn't have any books okay so then the next one I have is uh yeah I have meta narratives and ludo narratives <laughs> so they did have books back then didn't they <laughs> They, no, they didn't have many books. Oh, they had to write them all by hand. The printing press didn't exist. I, no, I was I, yeah. They,
1: they did have books. They didn't have many. That's right. I was going to say
0: yeah. Like it would take a lot of efforts, <laughs> and most people couldn't read. So oh, that's anyway, um, the next one is meta narratives and ludo narratives. So ludo means games. I thought this one was interesting. They're actually two separate ones and Ludo narratives may technically not be meta, but it just, it was seen relevant enough and it kept coming up when I was looking it up. So a meta narrative is a narrative about narratives. If you've ever watched anything by Dan Harmon, it's almost always in the the text of the, the stuff you're watching, like Rick and Morty, for instance, at the end of season one, he says, that's it. That's the end for season one. We're done. We did it. And so he's openly talking about the fact that he's in a show. It's breaking the fourth wall, but that's. That's not quite it. They do talk about like three act structure and other random things in the fourth season. They have this, I think, I can't remember what it's called, like a narrative train or something where the train itself, it, it keeps breaking, it keeps assessing and breaking like narrative, narrative conventions and outright naming them. So it's, it's kind of silly the way he does this, but It's essentially making a story about stories and like story structure, how to make them a lot of
1: themes in more recent film deal with this. Was that happening in the clip of uh, Wayne's World that you sent me recently where he walks into a shop and the guy's a bad actor and he looks at the camera and says, can we get a better actor for this role?
0: I know it's a small part, but we can, we can bef- definitely find somebody that's better. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, it, it, that one might just be more part of like meta cinema. They're very similar. Meta narratives can be any, any form. Meta cinema is, yeah, that, that would be that where it's addressing the fact that it's in the film. Yeah. So like Deadpool as a character in comic books, he'd be a meta narrative character. Cause he often comments on the, the themes and the characters in it. And that actually leads into what I've called the meta sanity or meta insanity. They're not the same, but for Deadpool or the Joker, People have argued that those two characters in comics, and I told you you're gonna have to bear with me on comics.
1: Um, my intentions already going brrr.
0: <laughs> Yeah. So Meta Sanity should be interesting to you. Cause okay, so like the Joker. The Joker constantly engages with Batman and sees his purpose in life to engage with Batman, but he also is pretty much seemingly out of his mind in that world he throws away human life like it doesn't matter he's kind of sadistic and he just does things to get a rise out of people or to make a point point. and i've heard people argue i know many people hate this especially fanboys but he's arguing that the, the reason the joker acts the way he does is because he's actually aware that none of this is real he's a villain in a comic book hero in a comic book hero story and he's just playing that part because he's like you know i screw it like i see that this is not real at all but i'll play that part why not like lucid but dreaming
1: it's like, oh, it's like it nothing really matters. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, except
0: for in this form, they only exist in that medium. Deadpool is another example where he openly talks about how he's in a comic book. And he's like, this is my comic book. I can't actually die here. And the, the other characters in that universe, in the text, they regard both these characters as like incurably insane they're completely insane because in that context they are but they're actually correct at the same time imagine if somebody acted like that well that would be solipsism right like just thinking that you're the only mind that actually exists and everyone else is just a figment of your imagination
1: yeah it's uh it's like a a version of psychosis in some sense where nothing's real and everything yeah just
0: well another more defensible version of that that's cropped up in recent years is the uh the, the simulation hypothesis that we are currently just one of infinite numbers of potential simulations like the matrix where we could be something as simple as them just trying to predict what the weather will be like <laughs> in, in the world. And they're just simulating historical events, which we are living through right now, but at a much more sped up rate, a sped up rate that we don't understand. There's an episode of um, Black Mirror that deals with that, where it's it pairs people together and makes them go on time dates and sees how they interact and work out. And then the ones that work out are the ones that get suggested. It's like an advanced form of Tinder where they have conscious virtual versions of us dating virtual versions of other people. So it can tell us which one is the most optimal made for us because it's run all the simulations. However, in those simulations, the simulations themselves are conscious. So it's like, oh, shit, like (laughs) how much pain are we creating in the world? Oh, it's like A-B testing with simulated selves. With conscious simulating selves. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty dark. It's a, the, a book that kind of goes into that is called The Age of M, where it talks about how M's, I guess, in his mind are conscious beings that live only in the virtual world and can speed up or slow down their consciousness. And it's, it got kind of dry after a bit, but the, the concept was kind of interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Any other comments on sanity? If you want to think about that sanity regarding sanity, super sane. Um, no, I think we're we're good there. We can continue driving along. Okay. Meta insanity is another one. This one, I don't, it's not something I found. It's just something I came up with both of these <laughs> ones. I don't think there's actually a Wikipedia page for, but meta insanity. Cause like I started thinking about what if you think you're going insane? You're not potentially, but if you believe you are, then you can actually drive yourself crazy by focusing on how you think you're
1: going crazy. This is actually like, way more come common with, than you may think.
0: No, I know. That's what I'm thinking. Cause okay. it's, it seems like that's the surest way to drive yourself crazy is to focus on these things.
1: Yeah. That's super common.
0: A book or a movie that was amazing, one of the best horror movies I've ever seen, creepiest at least, is called The Babadook, which is about how she, it's unclear whether it's real or not a lot of the film because she's focusing on it. And the the monster itself says in this, it comes from a storybook. It says, if you don't believe in him, you'll, you'll see him everywhere. And the more you don't see, you try not to see him, the more you will see him, which is kind of true about a lot of these things where you think like, oh, no, I'm going crazy. Like, no, I'm not. I'm just going to shove that away. But then, because you constantly have to keep checking it in your subconscious, at least you'll keep noticing
1: these instances of how you're confirming what you most fear. Yeah, what you resist persists, and I think I've said that before yep. on here. But it's very, very yep. true, and and this relates to a version of obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, more on the on the pure O realm of it, uh, which is. Uh, rumination or obsessing and Hmm. the more you struggle with your thoughts the more you you get pulled into the thing that you're resisting Uh, so the thought that am i going insane for example it's it's just a thought it doesn't necessarily have to be good or bad or harmful. It's just a, a thought. But the more you struggle with it, oh, no, am I? And you're checking. You're looking for evidence constantly. No, I'm not. And then you're trying to convince yourself you're not. The more you start to manifest what you're you're thinking, it affects your emotions you're fearing. and, yeah. and, and um, very common, actually, in, in crisis type calls, um, not so much in ongoing long term counseling, because there's, there's more of a level of stability. But when people are really in a in a crisis, a lot of the conversation tends to be focused on, I just want someone to tell me I'm not crazy right now. And I don't use that hmm. word pejoratively. It's literally what people may say uh, using that word Crazy. I, I would never use that word, but uh, people use the word and they just want to know that what they're doing is that makes sense. Really, Like it's validation. Right.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I think, yeah, because like you have to keep focusing on it. The next one I wanted to drive to is metacriticism. So I just realized that I didn't actually talk about ludo narratives at all, but meta criticism came up because a lot of the videos I watched on ludo narratives were criticizing other critics about their interpretation of ludo narratives, so it's criticism of other criticisms you get criticized so you criticize the criticism for it's whatever ineptitude or inaccuracy or whatever you want right but i found that kind of kind of funny so i, could uh, criticize, I was wondering if you thought-
1: i could criticize someone's review and say their their review their critical review was unfounded in facts
0: mm-hmm. yep you could say that i was wondering if you thought that post-modernism would be maybe a, um, a meta-criticism
1: post-modernism is a is a Criticism of all grand narratives, meta narrative. Yeah. That's yeah, actually that's one of the funny core because definitions of postmodernism.
0: But if you think about it, that is a, is a meta narrative about meta narratives no, <laughs> and it's also like, or there's no or a grand narrative. Of, it's a grand narrative that grand narratives can't exist. It's just it's itself a narrative of the world saying that these things cannot exist. So you have to subscribe to this belief to believe that other beliefs don't exist.
1: It's not much of a narrative, though. It's just a deconstruction, perhaps. It's not posing anything in replacement. Uh, Is it
0: not that everything boils down to power?
1: That would be more uh, post-structural uh, philosophies of Michel Foucault, particularly.
0: Yeah, but he doesn't. Yeah, right. And he doesn't identify as a Pomo no, person, he but people doesn't. definitely identify him as such. So it's like, well, there you go. Death of the author. You've been labeled as something that you claim not to be.
1: Yeah, but no Foucault like, would be I, yes. Everything boils down to power relations, and which you can argue perhaps is somewhat of a meta narrative or grand theory.
0: But I think I think well, it, it is a grand theory that you don't have your subscription to this grand theory is the criticism of grand theories. That's my point. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to give you something other than the fact that you're buying into this to not buy into the others. Because like to buy into this means that you're not you're trying not to buy into any, but you're still buying into that one. Do you see what I'm saying? Right,
1: right. You are buying into something. Yeah
0: which like it, it is putting forward an idea and its idea is to, to contradict other ideas and saying that those ideas are wrong. But then to follow that idea means you have to still subscribe to what it's trying to get rid of a grand narrative.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it deconstructs itself in the end, really.
0: Yeah. But then you kind of have to still subscribe to it to keep doing that. <laughs> yeah. But that's what I mean. It's it's self-referential, but I, I wanted to touch on Ludo narratives because it's just an interesting idea. So Ludo narratives Like movies or books or TV shows are one directional. They're coming with the information and giving it to you. And you're just, yeah, no, you're just passively consuming (laughs) it. So Ludo narratives are interesting because it's, there's the textual, like actual physical, the actual narrative of the story, the story narrative, which is why most mediums have, you can't actually engage with them. Right. Whereas video games are different because we're actively engaging. We are taking control of a person, a main actor in that world. Right. And so the Ludo part is Ludo means games, apparently. So Ludo narrative is the narrative that the gameplay espouses to you. So if the text of there's a story narrative has a story about how war is always terrible and how like the violence is never justified, it can have something called Ludo narrative dissonance. If say the gameplay is constantly making you kill people and you have no choice, to, but to kill, you can't do non-lethal alternatives. If that's the, the story is saying war or killing bad, and the, the game is forcing you to kill with no other option, then there's ludonarrative di- dissonance because the story and the gameplay do not mesh. They're teaching you different things. Whoa. That was interesting. There's a, The best example they gave was a, th- a game called um, Brothers, a story of two I don't remember, brothers, I think is a game called, where you control both brothers simultaneously on one controller, With both sticks, the left stick is one, one brother and the right stick is the other brother. Sounds difficult. Yeah, exactly. You might imagine that that's difficult to get at first, but as you slowly go, you build skill in in teamwork, right? And that's part of the narrative because the boys are not super close, but when they set out on this adventure, just like the player, you're incompetent at making them function in tandem together. But then as the game goes on, you get better and better at getting them to work together so that you don't have to think so hard, just like the brothers themselves grow together through their adventures. Mm-hmm. So that would be um ludonarrative um frigg, what's it called? What's the opposite of dissonance? Cohesion, coherence? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's that's an example of it done well. It's a big thing it was a, a word that came it was invented or created in the 2007 I think and it's been killed a lot <laughs> this is where I came across the meta criticisms of people criticizing the use of Ludo narratives anyway it's, uh, it's a rabbit hole the next one is also related to gaming which you will have less interest in I know but mm-hmm. whatever listeners just bear with me meta gaming. So in Dungeons and Dragons, there's the the character in the game that you're playing as, and then there's a player that's controlling them. So you, the player sitting at the table, you are telling the the rest of the group what you're doing in character. The difference is we live in this world. We understand this world well. And if you've been playing the game a long time, then you will understand like different monsters, different spells. You'll actually know more about the world than your character will. Right. Do you follow? Yep. So, like, I, I haven't played that much, but I have a D&D website. So I understand a lot about the world and how the mechanics work. The character should not know this. So me fighting a particular monster and knowing it's weak against fire, the character should not know that. So I shouldn't immediately jump to a fire spell. That would be called metagaming. And a lot of people don't like that because it's it's kind of cheating. Right. The character wouldn't know it. So you shouldn't be acting on that knowledge. Mm. Alternatively, this is a, another term that I came up with because nobody really talked about it is meta ignorance. So meta Ooh, ignorance is not, is what you were talking about of, uh, not knowing n- the unknown unknowns, your, your ignorance of the, your ignorance. Yeah. And I think when it comes to D and D still, it's the fact that the player doesn't understand the world that he's functioning in and the character should, because the character lives there. The character has survived in that world and it's a very dangerous place. So they would know where the dangers are, how to engage with this kind of person. What, what's a good decision and what's not. So as a player, though, you're controlling this person. You don't know any of these things. So you can easily make missteps that will get you killed because you're unaware of the the context that you're acting in. But I think it extends beyond that because it's, again, just like not knowing what you don't know.
1: Right. It's very dangerous in re- in real life. Uh, not so dangerous in gaming, but. Uh, no, it's
0: dangerous in gaming, but not not to the player, not to the player, to the character. But yes, uh,
1: yes the unknown unknowns will get you.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, I I didn't I don't know why I wrote this one, but it's emotion about emotions, meta emotion. I don't have much to say on that other than like you can feel sad about being angry at your father, for instance. I
1: like these layers of emotion.
0: Yeah, because usually things are a bit more complex. And it's interesting, too, when you study other languages, they'll have different words for for emotions that we don't have or they'll use them in ways that we wouldn't think of. But it can fit sometimes. Yeah, uh,
1: that I, I like the meta emotion thing. I know you went to language, but to bring it back to the emotion realm that often underneath fear or underneath anger is fear. Have you ever heard mm-hmm. of that idea?
0: Uh, very familiar with that given my, my core relationships. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, meta emotions, emotions, feelings about feelings, like feeling guilty for feeling happy, for instance, like, yeah. uh, yeah. Hank Hill has that because he feels that if he's enjoying life, then God will punish him. And so he feels guilty or anxious about being happy, about enjoying life. And that that is possibly dangerous. I would require metacognition to get out of because you're constantly in the cycle of emotion.
1: Yeah. And that's very common, too. The feeling guilty about being happy, uh, very common for internalizers and almost like, a, I don't deserve this. People are suffering and, and things are good with me and I feel guilty for being happy and is that, is or interesting layers. Another
0: one is depression. My depressed friends that I've talked to have told me about this depression cycle, which seems to be in most more severely depressed people I've met, where it's like I feel sad and I shouldn't everything is great everything's going my way but like I just feel purposeless and I'm just a piece of garbage for for feeling bad oh you're so stupid for feeling bad why do you feel bad stop feeling bad you idiot and it just keeps cycling in this way because like it's a it's a negative cycle because it's reinforcing this depression through depression and yelling at yourself for being depressed
1: (laughs) yeah again what you resist persists yeah it's a I don't I don't want to say meta criticism but in a way it could be that as well yeah
0: yeah, I guess. I think it's more just the emotion towards the emotion. Yeah, You're criticizing yourself for feeling an emotion. You're right. feeling an emotion because you feel an emotion. And then you can criticize yourself for being critical of yourself, though. Yeah, I mean, you could see it that way, but they're all just kind of, yeah, fine, whatever. It could be both. <laughs> whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I'm, I kind of just pulled that. I don't know if I think I was thinking about it and I don't think it was actually like a Wikipedia page or any concept I've come across. The next one will be meta discussions. So you and I talking about how we discuss in this podcast is a meta discussion. We're discussing how to discuss this. Or for instance, having an arbiter in a negotiation between people would be kind of a meta discussion by them because they can, I guess, help to facilitate the conversation. Or if you say like my land project, I'm going to have to have a lot of meta discussions talking about how we want to discuss things in a productive way. So it doesn't descend into name calling and arguing and all these things, right? These kind of ground setting rules. Democracy
1: seems to have a lot of meta discussions about process. Like we, there's a lot of talk about how we, we talk about things and, and procedural stuff in like the Senate, for example. The U.S. Senate.
0: Yeah, I think they're. I think going to like the procedures. That's discussions about procedures. Not quite the same, but it's similar because like well, the, if you're talking about how to talk, yeah, that the, would be well, meta the procedures <laughs> are
1: about the, the discussion, like the order of who speaks first and second, the rules and timing, and all that.
0: Yeah, I guess that would fit. Yeah, but then also I just came up with another one: meta talking, because you're talking about talking. Yeah. Raf and I, a friend of mine, Raphael, had a game where we were trying to practice our ability to just improvise speech and get better at just carrying a conversation on one side. And so we would pick a random topic and start a timer that would be, I think like a minute, kind of like Toastmasters. We would get the person to talk for a minute. Doesn't matter what they say pretty much on that topic without stopping. And then we would talk about what they talked about and how to improve it. Toastmasters in general could be seen as a meta talking (laughs) meta speech format.
1: Very interesting. And and I know one of the more recent Meta discussions we've had about our podcast related to who leads and how we lead and, and, and all of that. And, and so perhaps illustrating our discussion about our discussion here might be useful and, and we can maybe talk about what we've kind of figured out about our, our ways. Yes. Our leading styles. Yeah.
0: I tend to lead from the front and you tend to lead from the back.
1: Yes and maybe or we can do an episode our, our natures yeah and maybe we can do an episode on on that which would be a meta discussion but leading from the back for me it i don't talk as much but i guess i i can ask pointed questions and kind of steer the conversation and direct what you're talking about so you're doing a lot of the, the yes. talking but i'm subtly kind of steering and like the brake on often because you're leading yeah. today you're leading from the front meaning mm-hmm. you've done a lot of research you have a list in front of you of where we want to go and i have no idea what that list is and and, yep. and my leading from the back today is is merely is just putting on brakes to keep talking about the same thing as long as possible until you move it forward <laughs> it seems yeah to, you're trying to it seems <laughs> to be that and when i'm when I, when the episode is my leading rather than leading from the front, like you you're doing and, and you, and you putting a break on, it's not like that at all. It's me. no, I have to
0: push it forward.
1: <laughs> it's It's constantly that. And I'm, I'm, I have a list of kind of interesting ideas and questions that I know I want to get to. But I'll, I'll suggest or say, well, I'll say a thing cause I know it'll make you go in that direction then you'll keep going in that direction. And then I'll like, hmm. sometimes
0: yes, but other I want- times it's not as evident because of the way I cut it, but yeah. you, you can sometimes just stop and not continue. And then I'll be like. And what's the next point? <laughs> <And sometimes laughs> to get things when you moving go, again.
1: When you go off the beaten path a little ways, and I want to, and I'm like, oh, but I'm looking at my nose, and I'm like, oh, but I want to get to that one. How do I do that? I just kind of let you keep going until you stumble upon, like, oh, that fits. And that relates to this other thing. So I'll lead from the back by like catching a moment when you'll say something that will connect to what I want to talk about. And you're like, yeah. speaking of that this other thing. So you, you might notice I do that. And then I'll say, what are yeah. your thoughts about that other thing? So I've steered you back to this other direction. And then you, you keep going that way. And then I'm like, okay, where, where do I want to go next? And I'm looking at my notes. And then I'm like, if okay. you want
0: to just as a side note, cause I underestimated this in the past, yeah. but if you want to experience the power of this, it is actually much more powerful to leave from behind than you would think. Yeah. Cause if you say your boss doesn't ever shut up and he always talks about certain things you can choose, he'll, he'll have, or she, I don't want to gender that, uh, Any anybody who's in charge, they'll talk about something and they'll keep going on and on, but there will be multiple threads opening up that they touch on and move off of, but you can choose which thread to continue down, which yeah. then... It's like you choose your own adventure through somebody else's monologue. You choose, OK, this path. OK, let's don't take a right turn here. OK, now this one, this one's not, not so interesting. So let's take a left turn there. Yeah. Like you try to occasionally do
1: here. Yeah, I do. I do it through meta awareness of where are we in this conversation? So it's like a bird's eye view and my notes awareness are, of awareness. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware of the, the the bigger conversation and where we are in it. And I have a map it could be of, be above awareness. Above it. I'm above it. i above awareness.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're super aware. I'm so above that,
1: but uh, yeah,
0: I, I've only got, by the way, um, four other meta concepts, and then that, then that's it.
1: Well, I'm, I'm really, I'm really hitting the emergency brain.
0: <laughs> you are. You're really pulling it there, because I'm like, okay, we, we, if anybody's curious, this is, uh, oh yeah, well, an hour and seven and a half minutes, and to me that equates to like four or five hours of editing. So
1: So that was an example of a meta conversation. There we go.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a meta commentary on the podcast. I guess a comment. No, it's not. It's a comment about the comment. Hmm. Whatever. Meta discussion. I don't know. Whatever you want to call it. It's meta in some form, but uh, whatever. Um, The next one is meta jokes. (laughs) Joking about joking or like using like an anti joke would probably be a meta joke because it sets you up for what you think is a joke. But then it just ends up coming falling flat. It's like. What did the owl say to the squirrel? Who? What? No, it, it says nothing. It it grabs a squirrel and flies away and eats it. Oh, because it sets up like it's a joke, but it's not a joke. It's a joke about how that's how jokes are are formatted. So it's an anti joke. Uh, love it. Yeah, it's not a good joke, but it's uh It's just some comedians use them to great effect because they set up joke, set up joke, then punch, punch, and then finally. They set up a joke and then they don't deliver the punchline. They subvert it. Got it. Got it. Next is metaprogramming. So metaprogramming, I guess, is programming about programming, like getting. It's kind of, I think, a newer field coming out where we're trying to get AI to be able to, I guess, meta learn to be able to improve its own functions. So you're programming it to be able to program itself or reprogram itself, which is incredibly dangerous in my mind, but it's the next major step. But the most simple form of this would be recursion, I guess, if I wanted to pick out a random example. So recursion is the process of defining a problem or the solution to the problem in terms of a simpler form of itself or in reference to itself. So the easiest example is uh, an operation called find your way home. It's a three step program. The first step is if you are, if you are at home, stop moving. Second, second step is take one step towards home. And third step is run this program again. So if you're not at home, you'll take one step towards home and then the program will reset. So again, it'll check. Are you home? No, take a step. Are you home? No, take a step. And so it keeps referring to itself until it finally fulfills the first step of if you're at home, stop. Technically The program never stops running. It'll keep running indefinitely because it'll just keep checking. Are you home? Are you home? Are you home? And if you are, you'll just perpetually be checking if you're home. Wow. (laughs) But that's that's metaprogramming. It's perpetually checking. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually one of the dangers of AI, where if you say, "Okay," like your job is to make paperclips as the, the stereotype goes in this example. And the AI will say, okay, I'll make paper clips. So I'll make as many paper clips as possible. You're like, okay, no, 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 not as many paper clips as possible. Just make 100. Just make 100 paper clips and no more. So the thing is, it'll, it will it will try to fill, the fill that as much as possible. But 100 paper clips, it'll say, okay, are we 100% sure that we have 100 paper clips? And it will say, no, because we're never 100% sure of anything. So let's make another paper clip just to be safe. And then, okay, well, we're still not one hundred percent sure that we have at least one hundred clips. So let's make another hundred. Let's make another paperclip, just to be safe. And it might keep doing this indefinitely. Or, wow. I guess, if we wanted to make a safer approach, we would say just keep checking, just keep counting again and again, and format in a way that there's no possible way that you can mess it up. But there's still because of margin of error, the machine could continue perpetually doing it, which is one of the dangers there. Next, the last two. I guess I'll start, I'll start with the um, the shorter one that's less interesting. Metahumans. <laughs> That's less interesting. Well, it's less for you because it's to do with comic books, but it's more interesting in the fact that it's another way of saying superhumans. It's not really a thing yet. It's in comic books and stuff. And I think a world with superhumans or metahumans is... Terrifying, but it's possibly going to be a thing with designer babies and CRISPR and being able to genetically edit ourselves. Who knows what we are already capable of doing in the dark corners of research, defense research specifically. Dark corners of research. Yeah. What do you think DARPA's got going on? I have no idea. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure we'd be terrified to know what yeah. they've got going on. There was yeah. a comic book actually I read, which is really great. It was a, a short run where it was based on this genius working at DARPA. And at the end of each comic book, it would have a story about some technology that he's working on. And at the end, it would actually have papers that were released by DARPA, the Defense and Advanced Research Projects Association, I think is what it is. The American Defense Department, pretty much. They have tons of research funding and uh, very hush hush. But in this, it would look at papers that were released somehow declassified. And it would talk about how the tech in the story was actually based in real life research that's being done or was done like a decade or two ago. So like one example was they had a, a robot that was like a drone, basically, but it's the size of like a dust moat. There's a really, really small robot. And what they were using it for in that story was they would fly inside. They would see what was going on in a foreign leader's house. They wouldn't directly assassinate them, but they would drop information in the story. At least they would drop information about him. The guy cheating on his wife and then provoking the wife through a bunch of selective information drops to get the wife to stab him. And so she killed him. So they technically did assassinate him, but they did it by just strategically dropping information using this illegally acquired information through the robot, mm. through the drone. So anyway, that's kind of off topic. <laughs> that's, that's so shocking. If you listened to this uh, so this shocking. far. Surprise. Oh, by the way, this is episode 14. This is this is the last one before we're better than half of the- <laughs> half a podcasters no way yeah one more and then we've done it we can give up
1: we've gone done it again
0: yeah last one meta-analysis any thoughts on meta-analysis analysis Analysis of analysis i guess pomo would be a meta-analysis then i guess
1: meta-analysis oh uh like in research which is a study of the studies yes the the best kind of study is a meta-analysis because it uh, yeah it actually studies a big chunk of the best research on a particular topic and looks at the mm-hmm. quality of those research methods used. And it comes to some the kind conclusions. of a, a synthesis about what yeah. is true about a situation. Yeah. So
0: if you're lazy and you want to know something about an area, but actually it's both lazy and also lazy, efficient. Efficient Yeah, because you don't have to smart. go through all the papers yourself. Well, that's supposing it exists. Okay. But I mean... Yeah, if, if you're, I'm, when I'm lazier, I'll just find like a meta-analysis of some particular area. <laughs> I think even if you're see, not
1: lazy, they've met, meta-analysis is better just in general.
0: Yeah, but the thing is you're trusting this person's bias to, to not cloud their interpretation that's, of the other papers. That's why you look at so three meta-analyses. Unless, supposing they exist, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, looking at multiple meta-analyses is the best because yeah. it's... Looking at those papers, looking at the strengths and weaknesses, and what do we actually conclude? Because this is the problem with with science reporting a lot of the time, and why my parents and my relatives, and more generally, can be anti-intellectual in this way, anti-science. Because they'll say, ah, they said that eggs are bad for you, and now they're good for you, and then they were bad for you again, and then they were good for you again. Ah, they don't know anything. But the problem is the news is taking the most shocking ones, for one. And two, they're taking individual single studies. There's like one-off, which doesn't guarantee anything. We have to redo studies several times to know that it's a solid fact. Yeah, And that's what meta-analyses are are doing. So really, I think papers and stuff should be limited to having, well, one, people who actually understand science to begin with reporting on it, and two, people who are mostly looking at meta-analyses so they can see, okay, the overall trend, this one, like these ones say the eggs are bad, but the overall trend seems to be that eggs are good for you and that they actually have a lot of vitamins and blah, blah, blah. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. So I don't really have a takeaway from this one. Do you?
1: Oh, you don't have a magnificent ending to tie it all together?
0: Well, it's all kind of uh, spread around. I think meta is an interesting concept because you can find venues that you may not have considered challenging things that would not have previously been challenged, such as through metacognition or meta learning, meta skills. I think those first three are probably the most useful in the the stuff we talked
1: about. What? But like, if we hmm. did know what the ideal ending would be for this episode, what do you think it would be composed of?
0: Are you trying to be meta in our approach to making a meta? <laughs> uh, I, I mainly, this is a kind of an experiment because like the other ones were one specific topic where this one is like a framework to approaching topics. So I guess consider you can actually come up with some, okay, I guess the takeaway might be that you can come up with some very interesting novel approaches to things if you include the interaction with that thing as part of the input. So for instance, or the Ludo narrative thing, using the gameplay itself to give a message or reinforce. The themes of the story itself, that is something that came about because somebody started noticing it. And now it's a major feature in games that's consciously thought about. But before it kind of wasn't so much of a, a highlight. So I think that's that's kind of interesting or witnessing how these things, meta things can often be kind of a feedback loop, either virtuous or vicious, because like the the meta sanity or meta emotion can keep you recycling again and again on a well-worn but negative approaches to things. So I think just being aware of how we're kind of feeding back into stuff or how we can use these to advance areas of study. I think that's, that's the takeaway really.
1: Yeah. And, and my takeaway would be a little more practical.
0: Go for it. And it's, Wait, what, what, you think it's impractical to be like, examine your thinking, examine this thing, <laughs> examine, like just examine these things and find new venues to explore. <laughs> that's okay. fairly practical because it gives you something to do.
1: That's that, that is my takeaway in different words. Um, okay say your different (laughs) words then might be more eloquent if i were to construct the ideal ending to this episode it it would consist of the message to think about your thinking because if you don't you're just sleepwalking through life or exploding on reacting to everything you you face and to step back and gain that distance is psychologically useful so that you can iron out ways of thinking that are not necessarily working and to reconstruct uh, more useful thought patterns. Um, Not that there's something wrong with your thinking or or way of thinking. It's more of, is it getting you what you want? So it's not a right or wrong uh, solution. It's more of a step back and saying, is this way of thinking Getting me,
0: what I want, yes, or I guess a theme that we keep coming back to is basically Aristotle's quote, The un, unexamined life is not worth living. I think what he means is sleepwalking through life will not get you what you want, as you're saying there, and that we need mm-hmm. to examine the things we're doing and how we're doing them to better achieve our goals and achieve yeah. happiness.
1: Yeah, and I think that if, if we were to have said that, I think that would have been like the perfect ending. <laughs>
0: Well, we did. We did just say that. So good way to try to be meta again. All right. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we hope to see you next time. And thank you for allowing us to get to episode 14. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we have 300 downloads today. Woo! Woo! 300. So we're, we're, yeah. We're slowly getting there. And I think like 200 streams on Spotify. So, yeah. Yeah. Slowly but surely. Thank you for supporting us. Take care. All right. See you later. Bye.
1: Yeah, you're going to have an interesting talk here, I think. I'll probably find it boring, I know.